theyeshiva.net. Now I'll be a little simpler. Page Mem Aleph, five lines from the top. Mehet? Okay. There's a, be- there's a beautiful watch from the Ran. There's a sefer called Droshes Haran. Rabbeinu Nisim. So the Ran asks, why is it that the first Jewish leader couldn't speak? Moshe was a kvat pan, a kvat lashon. What would be wrong if he had... Uh, it was torturous. He said <laughs> his, whole, his whole job was to speak, to teach, to communicate. Lo yish dvarim I'm not a man of words. And Hashem said, I do, do. So the Ran says something amazing. He says, if Moshe would be able to speak, you would suspect that it was his charisma and charm that convinced the Jewish people to accept Judaism. <laughs> he had a gift of gap. <laughs> and he was very persuasive. But everybody saw that <laughs> the words are very difficult to uh, be enthralled by. So the only power was the truth, not the words, the truth. That's what Iran writes. <laughs> so sometimes... <laughs> In Germany, he had such a power of speech, it was, hip, it, was, it was like hypnosis. He enthralled millions and millions of people. Practiced, he would practice in front of a mirror for hours and hours and hours. The whole power was words, how you say it, the screaming, the hollering. So, Lahavdil with Emes is the opposite. Okay, you see five lines from the top, page Mamalaf. There's always one step deeper, right? One step deeper. Really, Be'emes, it's beautiful words. Be'emes, yesh l'vayir ha'bitl ba'imekes. Really, the bitl of the world, the person with the oneness, goes much deeper. So what's ba'imekes? What does it mean to go deeper? What's, what was the first step to go deeper? So till now, we learned two main points in the shiurim till now. The first six shiurim of the Maimah, we learned two main points. The first point was the Allah in Shulchan Aruch that you can't cover your head with your hand because the you doesn't cover the you. The hand doesn't cover the head because it's both one body. The body doesn't cover its, itself. You need somebody else's hand, or a hat, or yamaka, whatever it is. And the, and the spiritual meaning of that is that all the concealments, Shema Lekim and Shema Vaya are one. Hashem Hua Lekim, which is not just two names, it's two realities. L'chayra, because Lekim is the transmission of Havaya. It's the way the light travels and is communicated. And is filtered and concealed and contracted and and limited, and still you say that what that the limitation doesn't conceal him; he's fully present there, like the marshal of the teacher 
right? The marshal doesn't eclipse the message for the teacher. It just allows the student to receive it in a mitigated and diluted and limited way so he should be able to absorb it. And therefore, the Ein Soif is present in every situation and in every reality and under all circumstances because even the metaphors of life, the metaphors of life are also a communication of the infinite. On the con, on the contrary, it's in this world, this world, we have the greatest concealment where the ultimate objective was and is. It's just that all the higher worlds are an introduction to this world, what we call Seder Shtashalos. And therefore, ultimately, the presence is in all of them in an identical fashion like pre-creation. That was chapter one. Chapter two came in another point. That is, but chapter two came another point. What was the second point? That it's not just pre-creation, there was oneness. After creation, there's a world. And there's all the concealments allowed to allow to be a world. Elamai, this whole, the concealment is from our perspective, but the ain't so if Hashem is present everywhere. But still, you can't describe it as the same reality of oneness. Because he created a world, however you interpret that world. Came chapter 2 and said, let's define what this world is. And here came the whole explanation of Yeshmeyayin versus Ilava'alu. The creation happens every moment. Creation is not a one-time event. It's perpetual. In other words, the only truth of reality is the truth of now. The truth of now. Because creation happens right now, literally. Living in the past in an obsessive way, or living in the future in an obsessive way, is never living in reality. Reality is always the flow of consciousness right now. And we know, we know it's hard to live that way. We, <laughs> we obsess about the past. We obsess about the future, right? Now you want to you learn from the past. You have to prepare for the future. But I have to live. I have to live now. See, what's the most important moment you'll experience in your life? Who is the most important person you'll meet in your life? Yeah. What is the greatest place you'll be in in your life? And the answer is always the moment you're in now and the person you're talking to now <laughs> and the place you're in right now. So it's not some acute uh, statement, you know, uh, pop psychology, new age clip, you know, one of these clips that you get a hundred times a day. I'm also guilty in some of these clips. But it's, it's a truth in it. It's a real truth. Because if creation is happening now, so to be in touch 
with the heartbeat of life, you always have to be in touch with now. Right? It's always saying, he nay he nay to now. He nay to this moment, to this experience. If not, I'm not in touch with the flow of life now. I'm busy with another flow of life that's already <laughs> What do they say? That, that ship sailed already. <laughs> that ship is gone. What about the heartbeat of now? The heartbeat is now. It's now. Full presence. Full presence. Dvekas. Dvekas is now. That's the Lo'ilam Hashem Bashamayim. That the words of creation are not one-time words, but the words, Yehirakia, they should be a heaven. Stand in the heavens. We mean stand in the heavens. Doesn't mean physically words stand in the heavens. It means the heavens and everything else are not a creation of the Dvar Hashem, but they are a manifestation of the Dvar Hashem. Right? The coffee bean, the drop of water, the piece of wood, the tree, the squirrel, the ant, the bee, and the galaxy, the sun, the moon. They're not just creations, but rather they're a manifestation of the Creator. So the words, Yehirakia, or Tache Aretz, or Nasa Adam, or Yehimairis, all the ten utterances, they continuously vivify and animate and create and sustain the world. And as explained at length, because essentially it's Yesh Me'ayin, it's something from nothing. So on its own, it doesn't exist. What is its existence? Its existence is the divine energy that brings it into existence. So essentially the physical world is just camouflaged divine energy. Even more than camouflaged, not camouflaged, concretized divine energy, concretized. It's divine energy, the way it's communicated to my eye. That's what it is. And therefore... The deeper, the more tools you develop, the more microscopic your eyes become. The more you see that matter is not just physical matter. There's much more to it. And if your eye opens up more, you see that the whole world is Dvar Hashem. The world is Dvar Hashem. That's what it is. So it's not there's Hashem and there's a world. And now the question is, how is there Achtos? What is the nature of reality? The nature of reality is, is oneness. Bittel is the most natural expression of reality. Bittel, which means the connection, the alignment, not the separateness and the loneliness and the fragmentation and the ego. Yesh is, is the defiance of reality and Bittel is the expression of reality. That was the main point, yeah. Remember, and we gave the marshal of the daydream, right? And again, it's not a good, it's not a perfect marshal because the world is not a daydream. The world is real. The world is real. It's not only a matrix, as they call it. <laughs> it's not just in my mind. But it's a, it, it gives a metaphor that when something is created in my mind, through my mind, in my mind, the moment I stop thinking about it, it's not there. 
All the characters in the daydream are gone. Why? Because their whole reality is what? They don't have a reality independent of me. It's a it's yesh mayayin. What mean yesh mayayin? It's made from my thoughts. Those people are made up of my thoughts. So they have no reality outside of me thinking about them. That is the reality. If you want to dissect them under a mic, if you want to dissect them in a lab, what are you going to find? Thoughts. You're going to find neurons. You're going to find the, the electrical, electrical, electrical flow, currents of my brain. That's what they are. You say, no, they're people. They have clothes. They have, they have personalities. They even have watches. <laughs> I know. Huh? That's the muscle, yeah. That that is what they are. So if I stop thinking, what do you want should exist? There's nothing else outside of it. So that's one of the 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 big big emphasis of Tarasabal Shemtiv. That when you look at the world, that's that it's a real description. It's it's hard to it's hard to imagine that in the world. Right? It's so real. He says, Avada it's real. It's even more real than you think. Why is it more real than you think? Because it's Dvar Hashem. It's even more real. But what's its realness? Its realness is that it's, it's all spirituality. It's all divine. It's all the divine words, divine energy. And the more the eyes open up, spiritually and physically, the more science develops tools to discover reality, the more they see the oneness, the consciousness behind the matter, and the spirituality behind the matter, and even the paradoxes, and ultimately the connect, connectivity of everything. That's Pshat, Yeshaya Novi says, Mashiach comes, V'niglek v'ayd Hashem, V'roch al-boso yachdav, Kifi Hashem diber. We say it b'kriya satayr, Shabbos morning. You know that long piece? The end before kriya satayr. So, what's pshat? So literally it means, some of Farshim say, Hashem's glory will be revealed, and all flesh will see that Hashem's mouth spoke, meaning that whatever he spoke came true. But there's a much deeper interpretation. All flesh will see. That what you're seeing is not flesh. You're seeing the mouth of Hashem talking. You see in reality, even the boss or the flesh, you'll see Kipi Hashem So it's not just Hashem is present everywhere, even in the mushal, it's much deeper than that. That's chapter 1, then chapter 2. Perek Bezes, this world that you're talking about, what is it really? It's essentially just a physical manifestation of the Asarim Amaris. Asarim Amaris. So you say, what is a person, yeah? What's the relation between a DNA and a person? What's the relation between your genes and a person? What's the relation between your cells and a person? <laughs> Do you have a connection with your cells? Do you have a connection with your DNA? Then it says, you don't need a connection. That, that is you. Uh, well, I don't see DNA. I see skin. <laughs> I see a nose. I see eyes. That's the Gewaldic Chiddush. The 
Gewaltige Chiddush is that it's it's building blocks. The building blocks of the body are its are its cells. That's those are the building blocks. That's why it's called words, not thoughts. The difference between thoughts and words are thoughts are inside me. The characters in my daydream never rebel against me <laughs> unless I want them to. Or unless I'm rebelling against myself, which is why people have all these types of thoughts. The idea of words is words have a duality. What's the duality? On one hand, they're my words. On the other hand, you could do with them what you want. That's what people do, right? They take your words. Huh? Misinterpret, misconstrue. Telephone game, you remember telephone game? Plagiarize, what's plagiarize? You take somebody's words, you put them in your book with your name. <laughs> because that's the power of words, because it's my words, and yet they, leave, they go out of me, they go into you, and now they, they can assume an independent existence outside of the speaker, unlike thoughts, which never leave my frequency. You don't know my thoughts, they remain inside of me. They remain protected. In Kabbalah and Chassidus you have a concept called Oilamas HaMachshava and Oilamas HaDibur. It's called Alma Deskasia and Alma Desgalia. Almond Stimin and Almond Desgalia. Almond Stimin means concealed words. It means concealed. Concealed doesn't mean it's a secret. Concealed means there's no ego. Because it's not the words, it's the thought. So it experiences itself like the character inside inside the thought. The marshal is fish in water. You take the fish out of the water, they die. Right? There's a shit in Mishnayas, shit is Rashbag, that fish is not a chatzitza in mikveh. If a fish gets stuck in your foot, a woman is going to the mikveh. It's not a chatzitza. Why? Because fish... The symbiotic relationship between fish and water is so deep, the fish is the water. It's not the halacha. The halacha is it's fish, it's not water. But there's a, such a view in Mishnayas that the fish is not chatzitz. It's like water itself. Because it's submerged in the water. You don't even see it. That's a marshal, a soul of Almedes Kasi is a soul. That ego is death. It's like taking the fish out of the water. Do me a favor. I don't want to be visible. Visibility is death. If it's submerged, ah, oh, now I'm alive. Like Rabbi Akiva's famous metaphor, Maseches Brachas, right? The fish inside the water. Rabbi Akiva said, the Gemara says in Pesachim, Rabbi Akiva said, when I was on Amaritz, if I would say, bring me a Talmud Chachem, and I'm going to bite him like a donkey. So the Talmudim said, why a donkey, why not a dog? So he said, because when a dog bites, it doesn't break bones. When a donkey bites, it breaks your bones. So Rabbi Akiva said, I would bite them like a donkey. The same Rabbi Akiva, when he got older, he said, when Papus told him, why are you teaching Torah? Under Roman oppression, they're going to kill you. He said, it's like asking a fish, why are you going, why are you staying in the, why are you staying in the water? It's dangerous. Because everybody wants to catch fish. Better go out of the water. <laughs> in the water, the water is dangerous. Out of the water, you're dead. The same Rabbi Akiva. 
talk about a transformation of consciousness. That's what a good wife does. His wife, Rachel. That's what a good wife does. Was it transformation of consciousness or revealing? Revealing. Revealing of consciousness. Toysavis writes over there. It says that even when Rabbi Akiva didn't know how to learn, he was a very modest person. Tsanua Miley is a good person. Gemara says in Ksuvis. That's what Toysavis asks. So Toysavis in Ksuvis, some of us asked this question. You want to bite a Talmud Chacham like a donkey and break his bones? You know, maybe you have issues with Talmud Chacham, but it's not the nicest thing to say, right? So Toysva says, no, that it wasn't personal. It wasn't his ego. He says, this is what he says, a fascinating Toysva. He says, he saw the Talmud Chacham as extremely arrogant people. They hated anybody that wasn't like them. They were dismissive. They were dismissive, they were arrogant. And that arrogance drove him crazy because he was a good person. He said, Amir Haram wouldn't even touch. They wouldn't even touch Amiharitz. Physically, they wouldn't touch their clothes. And emotionally, they didn't just disagree with them. They, they had this haughtiness and this feeling of superiority, holier than thou. And that's what bothered the Bakiva. <laughs> that's what bothered the Bakiva. My point is, the fish inside the water, it's like completely submerged in the water. That's like thoughts. So there's a conception of a world which is created, but it's in the source. Like the thought is inside. So it doesn't have a separateness. But words are different. Words is a world, yeah, where you can walk around this world, be an atheist, and win a Nobel Prize, right? you consider a very sophisticated person. Because the definition of words is that even though it's all from the speaker, but right, you have to say it, and if you don't say it, you make it your own. You say, it's mine. The river is mine, and I made myself Somebody once told me about somebody, he said, he's a self-made man, and he worships his creator. So, then it's a different world. Yeah. It may. You want to ask? It's good, I need a break. Ask. <laughs> he, he changed the whole matzav. Of course, that was a bakiva. For Bakiva changed the whole matzav. He changed what it means to be a Talmud Chacham. So you're saying every discovery that is for discovering the proper Yeah, you're plagiarizing without mentioning the author. You, you, you take the cover of Time magazine, you become the man of the year, the man of whatever, and uh, you win the prize, and you become a celebrity. Hashem Faginte being a celebrity. But it's You just discovered what Hashem put into the world and it's His energy you're discovering. It's a machzedek right in Darich Mitzvah He says, you see, it says what he writes, Aristotle, the more he knew, the more arrogant he became. The Rambam, the more he knew, the more humble he became. Why? Same methods. Same methods. Same brilliance, whatever. 
both brilliant people. He says, he became a bigger yesh. And he says, you see a lot of times, he writes this, Chachamim of Chachamim's Chitzayim, scientists, the more they know, the more arrogant, the less you can talk to them. <laughs> you ask them a question that... Ra- <laughs> I heard from Professor Jacob Brower. He's a neuroscientist at McGill University. He taught neuroscience for, for decades. You know Professor Brower? It's about Chuba. So I heard from him once. He, today he's a professor emeritus over there, but he taught there for decades, n- neuroscience. So he said that he was once, uh, as a student, he was sitting at a lecture, and uh, the professor, I forgot the details, but the professor basically said that science now proves that there's no soul. There's no consciousness outside of the body. The body is just a machine. Every emotion is just, it's it's like a fuse. There's no consciousness. It's not real. Yeah. So the professor said it now has been proven that it's all, there's no, there's no spirit outside of the body. It's all fake and fiction and so forth. So, uh, so, so after the class, he went over to the professor and he asked the professor different questions especially about the fact that we can observe that. Like, isn't there an eye that's observing that, observing this process of all the emotions and all the experiences? He thought it was a good question. And the professor would say, yeah, that's a good point. Instead, he said he got angry at him. And he didn't know why he's getting angry. This is like a very objective conversation. And the more he was asking, the more the person got angry. And finally he said, there's nobody to talk to with you. Get out of my office. (laughs) He said, and at that moment I realized (laughs) that science could become very contaminated. (laughs) No plimius. Why is it called chachmas chitzonius? People think, because it's superficial. It's not superficial, it's pretty deep. (laughs) It's not so superficial. Physics is not so superficial. Mathematics is not so superficial. Cosmology is not so superficial. Biology is not so superficial. Psychology is not so superficial. It's called Chachmas Chitzonius because it's very easy to capture it from a Chitzonius perspective, to see the outside, not the inside. There's a Jewish psychologist in LA. His name is Dr. J. Hamnick. He's a religious Jew. He once went to a lecture, uh, he shared this story, he was at a lecture, Freud, Sigmund Freud had a student, an old Jewish student, who lived in California, he learned by Freud, and he once gave a lecture. So all the, all the Chachamim came to listen, he was a very distinguished person. So he said, I want to discuss the following question, why is it that every culture in history, every religion, always has a myth about a flood that destroyed the world. Everybody. The Jews in the Bible have the story of Noach and the flood. Their myth. And the Hammurabis and the Babylonians and the Egyptians. Every culture, every religion has a story, a myth, that a flood came and wiped out the whole world. Why? Why do they need that story? So he explained, because the deepest fear of people is death. So you project it already before it happens. So when it happens... 
It's not so shocking. You know when people start imagining they're going to die, their family is going to die, the plane crash. You know how it is with people? Why do we do it? Right? You know what I'm talking about? You don't have to raise your hand. It's fine. I know you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Why do we do it? So he explained that way you're projecting what you're really afraid of and it makes it easier to cope with it. So they already decided there was a flood. The world was wiped out. You know what happened? We survived. So that's why everyone created that myth because it represents an internal fear of humanity. So Dr. J. Hamnick raises his hand. So a Jewish guy sitting there and he says, I have another explanation why they all have the myth, the story of a flood. He says, what? He said, because it happened. Because there was a flood. <laughs> so they wrote down there was a flood. That's what he says. So he says, the silence in the room you could cut with a knife. It was though, he said, it's like I said, the Shema Mepharish. It's like I said, the uneffable name, the word that's never to be said, you know? That's ne- never to be said. It wasn't just I said something. He looked at me. And everybody looked at me like, literally like a UFO just landed from another planet in here and, and, and gave this ridiculous theory. And he says, this man looked at me and he said as follows. My teacher Freud said, we will never know who's stronger, a polar bear or a tiger. Why not? Because they don't live on the same climate. So we'll never know. They don't engage. We'll never know who's stronger. He says, that's you and me. (laughs) End of conversation. You hear the sophistication of the response? At least he was honest. At least he was honest. From Harvard, Stephen J. Gold. Yes, like all good Jews, from Harvard especially. How was the first cell created? I'm not, we don't deal with them. Right. We don't go there. What I could see, I study. What I can't see, I don't study. It couldn't bother him if it starts... If it starts bothering him, where is it going to take him? Now, they used to think that a cell is not so complicated. Okay, it's like a Lego that your child makes in the living room. A few pieces came together, a few explosions, boom. Today you know that in one cell, one cell, right? Listen to this. The infrastructure of London, Paris, Tel Aviv, New York, right? Altogether doesn't come close <laughs> to the infrastructure of one cell. In terms of the mechanics, the mechanisms, the distinct roles, professions, jobs of every part of the cell, and all working together. And that's one cell from 50 trillion cells in the body. Right? So to say that it didn't happen (laughs) spontaneously, randomly on its own, but there was a consciousness, an infinitely intelligent consciousness behind it, is probably far more intelligent than to say it happened on its own. What's the what's the Nakuda? Exactly. Trillions, 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 trillions of years that it, two pieces should come to, for two pieces to come together. I told you a young man uh, familiar for months. He came to my house the other night, and he tells me uh, a nineteen-year-old boy from a very religious family here in Muncie. <laughs> so he tells me with a twinkle in his eye. I'm an atheist. 
אומר, אייפקסט. עשר, אוקיי. שלום עליך. ברוכים הבאים. I said, no, why are you telling it to me? Like, how can I help? He says, why are you not an atheist? <laughs> I'll explain to you, today, today we know enough about the world that we don't have to believe there's a creator. It used to be, you didn't know about the world, so you had to believe this is some weird, invisible deity poisoning the wells, that's what makes plagues, and sending the devil, that's what makes illness. Today we know germs and bacteria and fungus and corona. We know viruses. We have microscopes. <laughs> you have microscopes. What do you need God for? Before microscopes, you had to blame him. There was a thunderstorm. Of course, God. There's rain. God. Snow. God. It's a nice day. It's God. The sun is shining. God. Today we know why the sun shines, etc. So I told him, I'll be very honest with you. I don't have enough emunah like you to be an atheist. <laughs> Today, to be an atheist, <laughs> you need to have a lot of faith. You need to have a lot of blind faith. Because the more we have microscopes, the more you see <clears throat> the intricacies, not just intricacies, almost infinite intricacies of every minute detail of existence. I said, study how one cell, study the chemistry <laughs> <coughs> study what one cell possesses, one cell, just study it. And you'll see, you have to have a lot of faith, you have to have a lot of emunah <laughs> to believe it just happened on its own. I'll tell you the truth, I don't have so much emunah like you to be able to be an atheist. What should I do? <laughs> I'm sorry. If I would be a bigger maimon, I can be an atheist. I said, you're a much bigger maimon than me, much bigger. And he didn't like the answer. How do we get into this? Oh, that's a machzadek. So why is it that sometimes he says, the Rambam more humble and Aristotle more arrogant? Why? Says, the answer is because Aristotle was looking for the yesh and the Rambam was looking for the ayin. You understand? The Rambam was an Oymer Dava B'Shem Oymerai. The more he studied it, the more he saw the author. The more he saw the Dvar Hashem. And the other one, the more he studies, the more brilliant I am, the more mastery I have over the universe, so to speak, the better I feel about myself, the more arrogant I can feel. Lahavdil, you have an entire itself. You have a person, the more he learns, the more humble he becomes. The, even another person, the more he learns, the more you can't sit in his Dalaramas. That's how much you'll forgive me. It, you know? It's two people. They're learning the same thing. Because the whole attitude is different. The paradigm is different. It's a paradigm of yesh or a paradigm of ayin. Torah can make you very arrogant. The Gemara says in Yuma, Zacha nasaloi sam chayim. Loi zacha nasaloi sam amavas. The same Torah could become poison. How do you call the Torah poison? The Gemara doesn't say the Torah is, but Nasaloi Samamavas. For me, it's poison. We all know the same Torah can be used as a poisonous element when the person manipulates it, exploits it. So what's the Nekudah? So once it's a speech, it can be plagiarized. And this is where Pchira comes in. 
The Bechira is, do we see the world for its true nature of reality? Do I see myself for my true nature of reality? Which is that if the doors of perception were cleansed, everything appears as is. Divine, infinite oneness and love. Everything is divine love. Or, I detach it. I'm not Oymedava B'Shem, I plagiarize the words as my own. So now he says, there's one more step. Something deeper. What's the Ba'ayim So This is a... Uh, like, what do you want more? The Hinein is Ba'ayim Le'el. We explained earlier in chapter 1 that Hashem's essence is present here, Lamata. Lamata means even in the lowest world, lowest reality, as above. says, I fill heaven and earth. And it doesn't only mean filled with my providence. I know what's happening here. It's like you're sitting in your office and you have a monitor Ani Mali means fully present. In Zayar it says no space is devoid of him. Ah, you say there's concealment. Yeah, from our perception there's a concealment. It's not manifested in the most revealed and intuitive manner. Why not? The answer is, as we explained, if it would have been completely present in the most manifested and revealed way, not just present, but manifestly present, that we would experience the presence, what would be? All the universe would be naught. Why? Because if infinity was fully manifest, the I couldn't experience itself as an I. The I would just be part of that infinity. Right? So therefore, the, the creation happens through Shem Alekim. That's what he says. But on a deeper level, the presence of Ein Saif is here. It's just through a metaphor. It's through the world, through Shemalakim. An array of this, array of Hashem, is communicated into every creation to give it life. And its consciousness is from that ray. That, that's its Zivara. And that ray, even though it's 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 mitigated, it's 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 restricted, it's filtered. That's what the tzimtzum is. It's shemalakim, like the shemesh and the mugging, like the seeth over the sun, which allows us to experience the heat and the radiance and the light of the sun without making us French toast or American toast, I should say. Because the light is communicated in a way that can be palpable, it's relatable, it's communicable. The frequency is one that I can pick up within my kalim, within my vessels, not overshadow it, not overwhelm it. hear the words. But in every space where the name of Hashem is extended, where there's a ray, like the ray of the sun, to vivify every created being, don't think that the essence of Hashem is not present. It's fully, fully present. The etzim is there, and the etzim is there. It's communicated like the teacher who communicates through a marshal. Because without the marshal, the message would be overwhelming. Everybody would just get a migraine headache. In this case, they wouldn't only get a migraine headache, they would cease to exist. 
So the Ein Saif is communicated through a Lekim. That's like the ray that's communicated to every Nivra. The hyena needs its ziv, and the bear needs its ziv, and the elephant has its ziv, and I have my ziv, and every star has its ziv, and every cell has its ziv, and every atom, and every compound, and every chemical, everything has its ziv, its unique flow of chemistry, divine chemistry, that creates the physical chemistry. And as we learned earlier, just to keep on remembering that, the physical chemistry is the spiritual chemistry, concretized in a way that my eyes can relate to it. That's what it is. It's not separate. It is the Dvar Hashem. But that means, don't think Havaya is not here, Atmos is not here. It's all here. It's all present. What's being experienced by the Nivra is the light that's filtered through Shem Alakim in order to maintain and create consciousness according to each person in his or her capacity, and every created being in his or her capacity. And that's why there's Atzillas, Ambriya, Yitzira, Asiya, like we learned earlier. And it's not a contradiction. Im kein muchrich loimar. If this is true, what does this mean? Shekol nivre batal betachles bein saif atzmosamos. This means that every created being is completely one with the essence. The kemoi, let's take an example. The kemoi ziv Hashem HaShem Eloiz v'ladarim Take the light of the sun. The light of the sun, the rays of the sun is incredible. We say every morning, HaMeir La'aretz V'ladorim Allah Berachamim Uvetuvei Mechadish B'chalit HaMasvideh What does that mean, HaMeir La'aretz? It gives light to the earth. V'ladorim Allah To all those who inhabit the earth. So take the light of the sun. K'mayshuhu B'guf Kadir HaShemesh The ray of the sun in the solar core. In the solar core. The ray of the sun now comes in through our window and it's giving us light. Brings light to your home, to your bedroom, to your office, to the shul, wherever you are. And we appreciate it. We're thankful for it. We make a bracha for it every morning. Yotzer HaMa'iris. Because of the gift of light. Right? It's an incredible gift. It's the source of life. Without it, we couldn't live. What about in the solar core itself? <laughs> the solar core, he says... What's the relationship of the ziv, of the ray, inside the solar core to the solar core? When it leaves the ball we call the sun, that gigantic, hot, energy, fiery ball, and it reaches the planet, and it takes eight minutes, because light travels 186,000 miles per second, so it takes eight minutes for the light of the sun to hit us. In other words, what we're seeing is eight minutes, <laughs> eight minutes later, Right? So that's the, called the Ziv HaShemesh. Inside the solar core, what's the relationship of the ray of the sun to the solar core, which means to the guf, to the ball itself? So he says, Shom ziv In the solar core, you don't say, oh, I see the ray of the sun. <laughs> if the ray extends outside of the sun, it may be in the sun too, but... You don't say there's the ray of the sun inside the sun. It doesn't have its own name. It doesn't have its own identity. Why? Not because it doesn't exist. It exists in a more powerful way. But because it's completely submerged, subsumed, the word, subsumed, bottle betachlis. It's completely one, nullified, submerged in the sun. You're not going to say, oh, look, there's the sun, and inside there's the ray of the sun. Because it's in its source, 
It doesn't have an identity outside of it. Suddenly, when the ray leaves the solar core and it reaches planet Earth and it illuminates our, our homes, now you give it a name. It's called the radiance of the sun. The reason is because, thank God, the ball of the sun is not here. If the ball of the sun was here, we wouldn't be here. So in the solar core, the ray is there. It goes out of the sun, it's in the sun, but it's not called the ray. It doesn't have its distinct identity, it doesn't even have a shame. Not because it's not there, it's, it's there in an even more powerful way. The heat and the light is much more intense. But where does it assume a distinct identity outside of the sun? When the ray leaves the sun, it assumes an identity. Now here you see what bitl means. Bitl doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Bittl means it doesn't have its own name. Why? Because it's completely one part, one and one unified, integrated with the source. It doesn't have a shape of neatzma. What's the nimshal? This is a metaphor. If the essence is present in every place and nothing is devoid, the ray of the sun is what? Is the flow of consciousness that goes into every created being. And that's limited, it's mitigated, it's, it's contracted, it's filtered. That's where the tzimtzum is, that's shema lakim. That's like the ray of the sun that communicates to us and brings it its light and it brings it its benefit. Without the ray of the sun, we wouldn't be able to survive. There would be no growth, there would be no produce. We would, we would, <coughs> everything would be destroyed. There would be absolutely no ability to live on this planet. Right? People often take for granted what the sun does for us. But we shouldn't. That's why we make a blessing every day. It's something you meditate on. We meditate on it. What the blessing of having a sun is. So the ziv in the mushal and the ziv in the nimshal is what? The ray of the Ein Saif, the way it's communicated to every created being. But remember, in the mushal, the sun stays where the sun is. <laughs> the sun is. But here we're saying, So the ray never left the source. So the ray never left the source. So therefore, in Cain, Here, in the Nimshel, the ray is in the solar core. It never left the solar core. Only in the distance from the sun can it assume its own name. Because it's distant from its source, it leaves its source. Wherever the ziv, wherever the ray extends, the etzem, the core of ain't soif, is fully present. So the ray is always in the solar core. Because wherever the ray is. The solar core is there. Hashem's essence. So essentially, when you appreciate that, you can understand that even the name Ray doesn't apply because it's in the solar core. 
and we explained already. We explained the whole reality of everything is what? It's the light and energy of infinity. There's no separate world. The world is infinity. The world is divinity. It's the divine ray of the, it's like the ray of the sun. That's what it is. Every being, every being, even the most physical concrete being, what is it? Essentially, it's the concretized divine consciousness. That's what it is. It's not there's a Dvar Hashem that creates a world. The world is, is Dvar Hashem. Again, the characters in my daydream are my thoughts. They're not different than my thoughts. They're not created by my thoughts. They are my thoughts. There's no thought. There's no people. Why? Because the people are not a reality outside of my thought. Their very reality is my thought. The Herst. So you have to know what the world is. The world is Dvarasha. So it is the Ziv. That's step one. The Ziv bottle. And if the Ziv itself, which is the Dvar Hashem, is subsumed in its core, the whole reality of the world is the Ziv, is the Ray. When the Ray leaves the solar core, it has an independent, not independent, it's still connected, but it has a name. In the solar core, there's just the sun. So every nivra really is mamish, ain't soif, one completely one, and subsumed and bottled and ain't soif atzmusumos. True, we see a yesh. <laughs> That's like a little ella, right? We see a psashtikal yesh. Because the kavana was, there should be the avoida of bringing the yesh back to the ayin. Hashem makes from ayin yesh. We make from yesh ayin. Avo be'emes who bottled the mitzias legamri ve'ein a shum mitzias nifrit klal. Not even like the ray. Ela bottled the mitzias bein seifatz musamos. This is the boimek yosef. This is a step deeper. You hear? You hear? You see? You see the steps? How it goes? First, he says Hashem is everywhere. Either Hester ain't that's a master alatz. But there's a world, yeah? So he says, no, there's no world. There's just Dvar Hashem. <laughs> there's Dvar Hashem that makes the world, and that is the world. If the doors of perception were cleansed, you would see everything is divine energy. But that's divine energy. That's like the energy of the sun, he says, but it's more than that. Here the divine energy never left the core, never left the source. So essentially, Atmos is everywhere. So essentially, there's, there's ain't safe Atmos. And what does this mean? What's this Ba'imikos? And what does this mean practical? The, the sun has the potential to reveal the light. But what's the relationship of that potential to the sun itself? So you're not going to say, oh, there's the light. <laughs> there's the sun. It has a potential to reveal the light. When it leaves the sun, it assumes something called light. In other words, when the energy of the sun is transmitted... And, and communicated and sent out of the sun, it's transformed into something we call light. Which is essential for any form of light. Right. Like everything that emits light. Like everything that emits light. We need the energy to sustain So the photons, the photons, exactly. If it wouldn't be transmitted, all the benefits that we have from light wouldn't be able to exist. The potential of all of it is created where in the sun itself. But in the sun itself, you don't call it oir. There is no oir. There's no oir, right? 
When it escapes the sun, suddenly there's something called there. But where did that potential come from? It came from the sun. But in the sun, yeah, yeah, good, right. So in other words, the concept of ziv, the limited form of expression of the sun, only happens outside of the sun, not in the sun. Even though the potential for it is all in the sun, obviously. If without the sun, nothing is happening. It's not created outside of the sun. It's created in the sun. But the way it comes out of the sun, suddenly it has a new identity called Ur. It has a new identity called Ziv. So the, 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 the Rebbe is saying this is the truth about creation. That you have to understand that the Ziv, even the Ziv, Dvar Hashem, is only called that outside of Atmos. And since there's no outside of Atmos, really you have to redefine existence, not even as Dvar Hashem. It's a much deeper bittle. Fashtest. What does this mean? What does this really mean? Right. The light allows us at least to talk about a divine world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It allows us to talk about a divine energy, divine transmission. It's all divine love, divine oneness. It's Dvar Hashem. It's Eib Shem You can't even communicate that there's a world that's divine. Even at Dvar Hashem. Dvar Hashem is already communication. That's what speech is, communication. That's a form of light. Right? It's a form of light. So if Atzmus Taka wasn't present, it was like, so to speak, the solar core, not physically, but spiritually speaking, so that would be reality. And there is that perception of reality. It's basically layers of how you perceive reality. There's perceiving reality as completely separate, as a yesh. So the Maimah comes and says... You have to cleanse, you know, clean the lenses and perceive reality as ayin. But even that reality, that's a limited perception. That's the way the ziv is, so to speak, separate, not separate, but it has emitted, it has emerged from the source. And over there you could speak about the fact that there's communication and there's the dvar Hashem. But there's a deeper, there's a deeper reality and what's the deeper reality? The deeper reality is that it never left its core. So it's, it's like yeah, so this is real Tzimtzum Shalai This is Mamash Tzimtzum Shalai Kibshutai. That Atzimus is here fully, and even the Oed is here fully. Huh? Right, so that's step one. That without divine energy, it's nothing. But here he's going even further. That even divine energy, it's like the ray of the sun, has to constantly, so to speak, be emitted from the source. That's what makes it energy, and it makes it divine, and it makes it communicable. But in the MS, that Atmos is present in every Nakuda, so the ray, so to speak, never left the sun. <laughs> so in the sun, you don't have the ray. You don't have the something called the shame of the ray. What is it? When the photon escapes the sun, you have the emergence of a ray. When it escapes from the sun, that's already because of a tzimtzum. <laughs> where you don't, where the etzem is not experienced in its full presence. But in the truth that it's in its full presence, so then the ziv never assumes a distinct identity, even as ray. So then there's absolute achtos, complete achtos with atzmos, without any, any, even definition, or experience that the nivra is this, the nivra is that, it's complete oneness. You're saying the element that emits the photon doesn't change its identity as a result of emitting the photon. Right. I just want to bring out one, 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 uh, 
This is deep, but I want to bring a one practical manifestation of this. There's a word from the Magid, whose 250th yard set is Yutas Kislev, Tov Koflamad Gimel, Tov Pei Gimel, the Rebbe of the Balatanya, the successor of the Balsham So it says, Bereish is Bara Lekim, Es Hashemayim Vesaretz. What's S? Why two S's? So he explains, S comes from the word Ois, letter. What was the creation? The creation was Hashem created Es Hashemayim Vesaretz, the letters of heaven and the letters of earth. That's what he created. That was creation. In other words, what happened by creation? Not that heaven and earth were created. The letters of heaven, the letters of earth. Meaning, the ability to talk about heaven. The ability to talk about earth. The ability to define it as a word. Shamayim Eretz. To define it as a picture. To define it as a structure. That's what was created. Bereshis means time in the beginning, because time was also created. That ability, that ability of creating time and space and Shamayim and Eretz, that's all Isis. What does this mean? This means there's a state where heaven and earth are not Isis. What happened by creation is they turned into Isis. In other words, they turned into Dvar Hashem. Or to put it differently, the ray, so to speak, left the solar core. Or it could be perceived that it left, it didn't leave the solar core, but it could be perceived that it left the solar core. If you give, yeah, if you give me a raisin, how long do you think I'm going to look at the raisin before I eat it? Huh? Second. If I'm in a more meditative state, five seconds. If I'm in a really good place, you know, 20 seconds, but at some point, there's going to be a fast bite of and it's going to be uh, inside the system, Right? If you give a raisin to a six-month-old baby in a crib, how long does the baby look at the raisin? Huh? No, no, a baby doesn't even know it's food. Or you give a baby a cup. How long does it look at a cup? It could play with a cup for 45 minutes, right? You ever saw? Turns it around. Especially if it has a color or two. How long are you going to look at a cup? How long do you look at a cup? Not even a second, right? Why? Why does the baby look at it for 45 minutes and turn it around a hundred times? The answer is because I have a name for the cup. Name finishes the relationship. Finishes. I know what it is. What's there to look at? I'm a sugar 45 minutes? I know what a raisin is. The baby doesn't have a name. Because it doesn't have a name, it's actually looking at the cup. I'm not looking at the cup. I already know what it is. I have in my mind names for everything. A raisin. I know what a raisin is. What's there to look at? You have a name. You attach the name, the label to this. It's already in a lid. It's in a box. It's defined. Next. Next. My curiosity is stifled. I'm not looking at the raisin. You know there's a lot to see in a raisin, right? (laughs) Who knows? I'm not six. I never looked at it. I don't remember what happened when I was six months old when I looked at raisins or cups. When we give something a name, what do we do? It's great because I could sell it, I could talk about it, I could say pass the cup, right? Pass the raisin. But also, what else do I do? I kill it. I don't mean, what do I mean by kill it? I, I, I define it, that's it. The, the, the story, it has a story, and this is the story. And because this is the story, this becomes my relationship to it. What about something without a name? 
What is it? I don't know. Look at it. Just be curious. Look at it. In life, it's not just true with raisins and cups. It's true with everything. As we grow and we learn to speak, we give everything a name. We attach a story to everything. Once we give it a name and a story, it allows us to make sense of it, but it also puts us in a particular box. This is the story. And you always have to ask yourself, what are the stories you told yourself, for example, about yourself? Are you also a story? Are you also a cup? What does that look like? What are the stories you say about your child? What are the stories you told yourself about your child? What are the stories, this is the big one, what are the stories you said about your spouse, your wife, or your husband? We like stories. This is the story. This is who you are. I know who you are. <laughs> now I see you. I know what a cup is. I'm not going to look again at a cup. I see my child. I know who you are. I have a story about you. It's one of the biggest pitfalls of existence. One of the biggest pitfalls of existence is that we have names and stories for everything. We attach it to the reality, we fix it, and this is my relationship with it. And much of my emotions and sensations and experiences are based on that fixed story. I once read about uh, animals, impalas, let's say an impala is in a jungle, or an antelope, or a deer, and it's, it's bit, uh, a cheetah is chasing it to devour it. And it manages to bite it, but it gets away. So they wanted to see if the, if the antelope or the deer or impalo suffers from PTSD, post-traumatic stress, post, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. It was in Vietnam. This is Vietnam. It was in a war zone, and it got away. And they noticed something very interesting, that it goes back to the herd, and all of its behaviors are, are regular. But they realize that it does something. After it's almost killed, it stands for 30 seconds or a minute or a few minutes, and it shakes violently, almost like shaking off everything, and then it goes back and everything is fine. It shakes it off and it goes back. What's the muzzle of the antelope? It doesn't know how to tell stories. If it would know how to tell stories, this would be the story. Why was I bitten by the cheetah? My mother hates me. My father probably set it up. Bechlal, I'm a loser. I always knew I was a loser. Now you see I'm a loser. I don't even deserve to live. Now it goes back to the herd with the whole story. (laughs) It's never the same. Because it's an antelope. (laughs) It just shakes it off. Boom, there's no story. (laughs) There's no story. So much of our life is based on the stories I tell myself about me and therefore the stories I say about everybody else in reality to me. What was creation? Creation was the oasis of heaven and earth. It allows the world to have a story, to be articulated. It's the ray of the sun outside of the sun. Inside the sun, there's no light. The sun has all the potential for the light. The whole world is from God, but inside, there's no oasis. There's no ziv. What is there? There's ain't soif mamash. So this means, this means that every reality in the world can be stripped 
from Isis and traced back to its original core. And what is its original core? Its original core is Atmos itself, without any definition or any description or any name. And over there, there's absolute freedom and absolute healing and absolute oneness. So even the world, as a ziv, it's the beginning of a story. It's a good story. It's a spiritual story. It's the story of Dvar Hashem. But it's the story that begins articulating the light. And because it articulates the light, it becomes the source of identity. Now that identity has myriads of levels, from Ayin all the way to Yesh. But what he's saying here is, the solar core is present. The ray never left the solar core. So therefore, pre-creation is post-creation. Creation is just the ability to be able to define things. In the most practical level, and maybe I'm bringing it down too much because this probably goes much deeper, but in a practical level, level try to top, stop telling stories about everything. In other words, <laughs> you come home, right? Your child says something to you. Your wife says something to you. Somebody else says something to you. What if you don't have to put it in a box? What if you could just be complete, like a baby, like completely curious? Oh, what's that? Don't, oh, this is a sick person. You're ungrateful. You're a brat. Uh, you're hopeless. Uh, why do I know you? you? You hear all that? What's that coming from? <laughs> all, I already have a story. I covered the lid and I remain trapped in that. I remain trapped. What if I could remain completely, completely open to fluidity, to complete openness? Nothing is fixed. Nothing is fixed. There's a lot more to your wife than you know. There's a lot more to your children than you know. There's a lot more to you than you know. I'm now coming from a particular prism. I'm defining everything. And that causes us to just repeat cycles. So I'm triggered the same way. You're so ungrateful, of course. And I'm getting angry. I'm getting upset. But if you could, if you could almost go back to that, uh, um, an empty, uh, empty slate, huh? Primordial state, yeah. Yeah. And here we're learning it's not just a primordial state before abuse. Before trauma, that that too. But here it's even deeper. Even the Dvar Hashem, even the story, the story of Isis is already the way the Ziv came out. In in Mohus, everything is Atmos. Everything is one with Atmos. In other words, you're completely out of the box. You're never as limited as you think. All my limitations are results of stories I tell myself about myself in the world. And the question is, which level of the story I'm, I'm connecting to? But even the highest spiritual level is another story. And in, in the core, he says, the emesis, that there's bitl b'metzius, in atzmos, not because there's no world. Let's say Hashem did, he created a world. But where did he create this world? Where is this light? It's in the solar core. So it doesn't have a shame of Neatzmai. So when it's deepest in your deepest space, you're completely one with the essence itself without any, any dissonance, without any, any separation. Not just not a separation because he keeps on creating you, because the very you is really one with Ein Saif. Dvar Hashem means he creates you, because there's a Ziv that creates you. 
The energy is concretized as the world. Here he's saying, there's a deeper state. It's not concretized as the world. It is. But where is that all in? It's all in the core. And over there, it's completely one with Atmos. So here is, he says, the deepest bitl and achtos of pre-creation, post-creation, the absolute complete oneness without any any compromise, without any tzimtzum, without, without any restriction. And this means that wherever you are and in every situation, I can always, so to speak, trace back my existence to that infinity, to that, to that atmos, to that core. It's even more than infinity. Dvar Hashem is also infinite. That the, the ray is also infinite. But here it's the source of the infinity. Where it doesn't even have, uh, uh, you don't even have a separate name. Not because you don't exist, because the definition of existence there is what? One thing with atmos. <laughs> yeah. Eitz Hadas was a, a bigger nefila. Over there was the separation in a more dramatic sense. So we exper- we don't experience. We experience the yesh because the void is there should be a bitla yesh la'ayin. That's what we experience. That's not a mistake. It's not as tragic. Not, that's the whole Indian. But what is a pshat bitla yesh la'ayin? Appreciating how deep the achtos is, how deep the oneness is, how infinite you are, how beautiful you are, how divine you are. Not just you are an articulation of the light, the way it came out of the sun. That's also a level of perception, which is amazing. <laughs> That's basically science, messianic. That science of Mashiach. Science of Mashiach is that the whole world is Dvar Hashem. But here he says it's deeper. What's the Baimekyaiser? The whole world is Dvar Hashem. That's understanding real science. The string theory. Here it's deeper. Exactly. We create stories to protect ourselves, to make sense out of our world, because we're afraid of the X. <laughs> we don't want the sun to get too hot. You don't want to get burnt. Right. So the truth is like this. When a person is in a place that of wounds, yeah, that's what we do. I, I completely protect myself. I go into a coping mechanism place. That's true. And you have to identify. I have to identify that. This is this is coming from a place of real trust. If I'm in a very wounded place and I'm just trying to cope, I can't go here. I just can't. You don't let go of anything. You don't let go of anything. Yeah. You could, because what this means is that every moment and every opportunity, there's never a lack of dvekas. Never. Every moment and every opportunity is a moment of complete authenticity and truth. In every moment you could connect to the etzim mamish within that space and within that moment because there's nothing that's outside of it. Not your work and not your relationship and not your house and not your body and not your soul. That's the bank too. Are always connected. No, just look at it that way. Be able to look at it that way. Even in the lowest places, and that's why you're not afraid to go into the lowest places, the most difficult places. Like I spoke about, 
that you're not afraid of emotions because it's all there. You don't have to be afraid of anything. You should be afraid. No, no, I mean, not afraid to, to look. Yeah, okay. I just want to finish here, one line here. The connection to Hanukkah. Because it's all really to explain the only mitzvah that was created by Shusharabim. You remember? So Maira de Kavart. No, no, you see how it comes together in a Gavaldika way. Mamish a minute. What was the what was the issue of the Yavanim? The time of Bayes Rishon, there was a Zara everywhere, idolatry. It says in the beginning of Bayesheni they will mavatal the Yitzhara of Avaidazara. The Gemara says in Yuma, Samachtas. What's Pshat? The time of Bayes Rishon, you saw a rock. Oh, let's bow down to the rock. <laughs> Statue, sun, moon. What's this game of making statues of God? Terach was a Meshugana. There was something very deep but distorted. What was the depth of it? The depth of it as the physical is a representation of God. What Avodah is, it reduced God to the statue. But the idea is, it, it, it made the physical too holy. Don't reduce God to a statue. But a statue is also a manifestation of God. Also. You start worshipping it, you reduce Hashem to that's Avodah Right? It says in this week's parasha, Vayikra lekeila lekei Yisrael. Yaakov says, Rashi says from the Gemara Megillah, Hashem called Yaakov God, Kale. Kadesh Baruch Hu Kareh Yaakov Kale. Because the Chiddush of Yaakov is, he didn't reduce himself to smallness, so he could be called Kale, because he's a conduit of infinity. The reason we don't call people God is not because people don't represent God, it's because people think they're people. <laughs> when you're just, when you're small, Ani amarti alekimatem ubnei alien kolchem. Hashem said, I thought you're God, you're Bnei but you decided you're a person. Okay. I saw in you divinity. You decided, you're a small, petty person. So that's Taka going to die. So in Bayes Rishon, it was too much, the physical became too uh, divine in the sense that, it, that the Hashem is reduced to the physical. What did the Yavanim do in Bayesheni? They went to the opposite. No Avedizar anymore. Now they said, there's Bechal no spiritual. In the Bayesheni, they said, all the physical is divine. You had an Avedizar, you had an Inkedusha, depends how you do it. With Bittal or without Bittal. In Bayesheni, is the opposite. Huh? Yeah. There's Bechal no holiness. The Yavanim, Timu Kalashmanim Shebehechel. They didn't care if there's a Menoira. You could light. What do I care? Every culture has Menoiras. But Timu, the concept of Tumah and Tara, is not scientific. This oil is pure. This oil is impure, really. This woman is a Nida. This woman is not a Nida. This is Shabbos. This is Friday. Yeah? This is holy. This is not holy. Where's the science? They stripped the physical from all the spiritual. That was Chachmas Chitzonius. When the Chitzonius says, they took the Chitzonius away from the Pneumius. So how do you celebrate Hanukkah? You celebrate Hanukkah by saying, there's no Rishos There's no, even the physical is divine. In other mitzvahs, the Chiddush of Hanukkah was, they stripped completely the physical from the divine. 
The physical world is a physical world. The Yavonim were scientists. They liked science. But only the Chachmas Chitzonius. Timu Kalashmanam Shabahecha. So how do you celebrate Hanukkah? You don't celebrate Hanukkah in the Beis Medrash. That's not the Kiddush of Hanukkah. You don't celebrate Hanukkah inside, like all the other mitzvahs. The Kiddush of Hanukkah is, on Pesach Beisim Ibachutz, like Toysvah says, in Yishus Arabim, the only mitzvah, to illuminate the Yishus Arabim. Why? You're saying that there's no God, there's only a world. And so Hanukkah says... The whole world is divine. I, the physicality, that itself is divine. That's the whole Nekudah here. That's the celebration of Hanukkah. That's why it's all Pesach Beisim Ebechutz. The Hest, that was the response to the Chathmus Chetzainis of the Yavanah. So this is the main, the main point. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.